0: Every week, Hillsdale College President Larry Arne joins Hugh Hewitt to discuss great books, great men, and great ideas. This is the Hillsdale Dialogues, presented by Hillsdale College. To find more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, and Ricochet. Bonjour High Canada. On this Good Friday, I'm Hugh Hewitt, live inside the Beltway. But I'm talking with Dr. Larry Arnn, President of Hillsdale College. That music means it's the last radio hour of the week. That means it's time for the Hillsdale Dialogue. All things Hillsdale are found at hillsdale.edu, and every single one of our dialogues, dating almost to 500 of them now, are over at iTunes under Hillsdale Dialogue. Dr. Arnn, a good Good Friday to you, and a happy Easter in advance. He has risen. He has risen indeed. I gathered it's quiet on the campus.
1: Uh, yeah, they're, what they're uh, what is it, what day is it? They're taking off tomorrow, and uh, effectively their minds are already gone. Yes, of course. And then they have to come back uh, Monday night after Easter and do the final push.
0: And, and the final push is just what that means. It means coming back ready uh, and willing to study all night. I love the fact, and we're going to talk about your seminar on Aristotle a little bit later in the show, I love the fact that you tell them in the first class, you're going to hate it, then you're going to love it, and you're going to work your tushies off like you've never worked before. These are juniors and seniors, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We Freshmen are unworthy to, take, to, to study the ethics. <laughs> i got to tell you, I love that course. I'm not going to stop talking about that course. I had to drive down to see my grandchildren, seven-hour round trip ten days ago, and I listened to the whole course on the way up and the way back and said to myself, this is really the best Hillsdale dialogue because it's actually a dialogue. Have you heard that from other people?
1: Yeah, it, uh, it's, you know, well, first of all, The Ethics is a magical book and it was identified to me in my first graduate student class as, as near a perfect book as exists, and I regard it that way, and I, I never got over it. And it is made to talk about because there's a lot in there and it's, uh, it, it's beautiful. But it's complex, and it unfolds in a certain way,
0: and two minds can figure that out better than one. You know, I I had never figured out the digression. I'm 66 years old, and I've been around the ethics since I was 18. And so I never quite, until I heard you discuss it with the students, understood what Aristotle was doing, which is stop, go back, retrace, begin again. You have to to do that, because uh, something,
1: you know everything is related to everything and 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 there are prerequisites to understanding anything anything serious and you can't know them all at once and you know sometimes there are prerequisites and there are prerequisites to the prerequisite and sometimes they change places and so it's just it's just uh, obvious it's dramatic even in the ethics that in in book 1 there are 13 chapters and several of them begin to return to the main point or to, or to stop the digression. And sometimes he'll do that two chapters in a row. And why does he do that? Does he forget? So, you know, some foolish scholars think uh, these are just rough notes and he never really worked on them. Well, and uh, and no. you know, if, you, if you start reading it like that, you won't be open to accept that there might be a plan. And if there is a plan and you miss it, that would be such a tragedy. So, yeah, it's a demanding book, but it's, uh, it's you know, it's fun. It's uh, You get to talking about that, and life falls into place.
0: We're going to come back next week as we finish up our conversation of Aristotle's friendship discussion in the ethics in a part three of our Aristotle on friendship. But today, I, I mentioned the digression because I'm going to digress here. I'm uh, Dwayne and I are leaving for France on Monday. And we're going to be there for two weeks. And in order to explain the presidential contest there, I have to digress back to what happened on Wednesday of this week when Sweden and Finland announced their intention to join NATO. And I have to digress from there to Boris Johnson being in Kiev. And I have to digress from there to Churchill going to France as the German onslaught came in. And it all fits together. But if you don't digress from one to the other first, it won't make sense. So yes, I'm leaving Monday with Dwayne for France, and but I want to begin with Churchill early in the war, flying to France. Repeat, they would never let him do this today, right? The Luftwaffe owned the air. What was he trying to do, Doctor Arndt, when 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 he flew there to be with his French allies? Well, he was trying to buck
1: him up, and uh, he he was you know, uh, Churchill was an Aristotelian in this sense. Every fine person is. He believed you could get a lot done by talking, I- indeed, more done by talking than by fighting. And he believed that doing it in person, and, you know, it, it, it's he, he traveled a multiple of the miles that Stalin and Roosevelt together traveled in the war. He was always ready to go, and he risked his life to go several times, and uh, his health, because he was... You know, his, he had respiratory problems during the war twice. And then he goes up there where the atmosphere is weak, and, and he just he did it anyway because he needed to go talk to them and look them in the eye and try to, in the case of the French, try to persuade them to keep fighting, which he failed to do.
0: You know what's amazing, Dr. Arn, is we are now at the age that Churchill was when he ran the war. Yeah. And uh, until you get to be this age you don't really appreciate what he did at that age which is overwhelming to consider uh, given that you slow down you, your mind doesn't slow down uh, you, you, your mind actually crystallizes its intelligence but he never stops which brings me to Boris jumping over to Kiev and showing up with Zelensky wandering around the streets of Kiev I was inspired and I am rarely inspired I'm almost always cynical now but I was inspired by Boris Johnson what about you
1: yeah, an interesting guy. He was, uh, you know, in my to my to my mind, a fool in the pandemic, uh, and uh, you know, he's lockdown guy. But uh, he, he, you know, he's written a pretty good book about Winston Churchill, and there's a sort of spit in him that you really need, and uh, it, you know, it, when when you get to talking about what's going on in Ukraine. The, the, if, if you see what the connections are, uh, the discussion circles the globe. But also it comes right down to that little place right now. And there's no getting away from that. Uh, and so he's, he, he's down there. And, you know, it, uh, And you mentioned the expansion of NATO, Finland, and Sweden. Well, you know, the world's choosing up sides right now. They are.
0: That, was, that followed... By hours, uh, by a couple of days, Boris going to Kiev, in between, I've got to talk about that, which is not uplifting, Joe Biden. On Wednesday, the Biden administration announced they were sending $750 million of new weapons to Ukraine, including uh, a specific kind of helicopter that's kind of deadly. On Thursday, they reversed that decision, having informed Congress that they were going to do it. They took it back. Uh, which is far worse than not sending it in the first place. The next day, Finland and Sweden said, we're in, to NATO. And I think all these events are connected. I think the European frontline states realize, with Joe Biden in the White House, they can't really rely on us. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think think at last they're taking seriously the idea that we're not going to be there for them. And that's a shame, and it does carry that one blessing, because... You know, we need uh, the West. You know, right now we're just being outdone in, on on every front. Uh, uh, I want to bring up India. There's a really good Walter War, Walter Russell Mead column about India in the Wall Street Journal today. And India is in a world of hurt right now because of all of this, because the Indian military has largely been built by the Russians, and it depends on the Russians and and... The, uh, and Pakistan, you know, they're age-old enemies, used to be part of India, it's the Muslim, mostly Muslims, who split with India because India is mostly Hindu. They're close to the Chinese. If the Chinese and the Russians get close together, what does that mean? And India is the largest country in the world except China and going to, apparently going to surpass China. And uh, India is a representative democracy. And so its ills and 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 troubles are of vital concern to us, and they're in a terrible spot. And and you know, and then if you go farther, you know, if, if you can imagine the map, uh, Eurasia is a massive thing that takes up you know about half the globe. I mean, g- goes around about half the gla- globe, and then that's connected directly to to uh, Africa, which goes down toward the antarctic circle well underneath uh, eurasia there's this vast ocean the indian ocean and india sticks out in it and it's the biggest thing in it and then when you get to the right of india and these are long distances then you get into you know the complex world where vietnam is and and you know the australia new zealand all that all of that is being affected by this,
0: too. Absolutely. The world is on the march. We come back with Dr. Larry Arn on this Good Friday edition of the Hillsdale Dialogue. All things Hillsdale, Hillsdale.edu. Don't miss any of this. Lots of hats. Stay tuned. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. The Hillsdale Dialogue for this week is underway. We will complete our Aristotle trilogy on Friendship next week. Then we're going to go to Cicero on Friendship after that. But this week, I wanted to pause with Dr. Arn on Good Friday to talk about some things that are current and present in our mind. I'm going to digress again. Dr. Arn mentioned Walter Russell Mead's uh, Wednesday op-ed in The Wall Street Journal. And I was at dinner with Walter Russell Mead on Tuesday last, and there were 12 of us in the room, a senator and a congressman, both of whom are very important people, uh, eight men-at-arms eight men who have heard the sound of gunfire uh, on ships or in battle, Walter Russell Meade and me. And when they came to me, I said, why are we wasting time on me? Let me ask Walter Russell Meade another question. Uh, Because Walter Russell Meade is a smart guy, and the question I asked him is, where are we? And he said, we have moved from a post-war era to a pre-war era. And I thought that was wise. What do you think?
1: Yeah, it's just... Just look at the arrangements. I'll, I'll add something uh, to my, you know, map, which must be entirely incoherent to the people who are listening to it. Uh, if you carry on uh, from the Indian Ocean through, you know, the Malacca Straits, it's a choke point. In Indonesia, uh, Singapore, Vietnam, uh, South China Sea, and come to find out, there are. Chinese all over the Solomon Islands, which are further out in the Pacific, right? But students of Second World War will know we lost a lot of people
0: retaking a lot. the
1: Solomon Islands as one of the steps to get back close to Japan, so we could fight Japan, which had attacked us across the Pacific and the and Hawaii. And so you can just see those places uh, have been in American hands since the second world war and now the chinese are getting them and that's you know that and and in the meantime uh the european union has appealed to china not to help russia and china has replied uh china will will uh, take its own steps right they just basically rebuffed them
0: Axis 2.0 is right. I wrote a Washington Post column on this this week. Uh, if you're talking about Putin and not talking about China and Iran, that's like condemning Mussolini without mentioning Tojo and Hitler. And they're, they're together at the hip. Yeah, and you,
1: you know, the impotence, impotence of American policy, which is a grievous and terrible fact, uh, that's connected to the fact that there's, you know, now the Hunter Biden laptop is a respectable topic right and we've all we've all now acknowledged that that was his laptop and of course what's on that laptop is evidence of corruption by him connected to Ukraine money from big ukrainian companies to pay him and there's i read yesterday in the wall street journal that there's a line or two that makes one think money was going to the man who's now the president
0: Oh, there is the effort to turn the Hunter Biden story from a non-story into a limited story requires uh, gymnastics of a sort that would normally win you the gold in in the Olympics because they're trying to avoid parts of what's on the laptop, even if they finally fess up to the laptop being legit. It's it, Our legacy media is corrupt, Dr. Arndt. There's no it's way around all. it. And see, maybe what,
1: the, you know, some people speculate, uh, you know, President Biden so far, does not seem to be the best president in American history. And, <laughs> and, there's, uh, and there's, you know, a, 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 this is, you know, first of all, it's impossible to be sure about any of this, what I'm saying about the, inter- I'm about, to say something about the internal workings of the left and the Democratic Party. I, I don't think you can know what they are because I don't think they know what they are. They change every day. But there may be. Why, why would the New York Times and such places start featuring this laptop and Washington Post, which is leading? Why would they do that? And, and uh, you know, it's an old story. Why not just leave it lie? Well, maybe they've decided to get rid of Biden to try to get themselves an ever can- a better candidate for 2024.
0: Oh, I have a different theory, yeah, which what's is that? pull the poison tooth. Uh, get it out there before the election, and then they can say, Well, we did that. Uh, but yours is a decent theory. We'll come back. We're going to talk about, believe it or not, San Diego high schools. We're going to talk about the Democrat running for governor in Pennsylvania against mass mandates. We're going to digress in order to come back. Don't go anywhere. The Hillsdale dialogue continues on the Hugh Dillard Show. America, a good, good Friday to you. A happy Passover to all of those celebrating that, and to those atheists out there, read a book. Uh, preferably the good book. Dr. On and all of his work, are available at hillsdale.edu. Okay, Dr. On, I'm going to digress back to things we've been talking about, require knowledge on the part of listeners that they may not have because they went to public schools. This week, there were two debates in the United States. One was on gender education K-3, through which is an abomination, and Uh, parents are going to vomit it out. But the other comes out of Patrick Henry High School in San Diego, the largest high school in San Diego, the largest one. When the Fetching Mrs. Hewitt was in school in Fallbrook, California, they were the debate champions of San Diego. It's a middle class to lower middle class, working uh, class area. And they have announced the uh, ending of most AP honors courses in history, in biology, in government, in the sorts of things that – routinely attract the best and the brightest to achieve, either to save money from having to take those courses in community college or just to get into the Hillsdale that they want to go to. I am curious. It's got to be stopped. It's got to be stopped. The idea that we and they did so in the name of equity and against the stratification of high school. If we don't stop it, it will destroy the top end of what's left of public education. If you were to appeal right now to the principle of that that high school to put back the hardest courses, what would you say to her and to the San Diego public Schools?
1: Well, uh, one must support them if for no other reason than that they're difficult, more difficult, they're not difficult. Uh, I, I, most of them are, you know, in the humanities, most of them are pretty bad, by the way. Uh, and, and uh, uh, you know, it's so the college board does those, I think is who does those. And I have been through one of them in detail, uh, and it's, you know, it isn't good, it doesn't say what the, it, it was about the Russian Revolution, and it doesn't really identify what the dang thing is about, and, or the consequences that followed from it. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think the courses are great, but to the extent that they are more difficult, they are better, because... If you can't learn anything true, at least you could get used to doing difficult things. Yes, training of one, uh, you know, a better thing. It's not even that difficult. Well, it, it takes. We so first of all, the older students get. Any time they read history, they should read as much as possible from the original source documents, right? And that's, and the reason for that is. They're written at the time. And by, by what documents do you choose? You choose ones that had a major effect. So you read the Emancipation Proclamation. You read, uh, uh, in our Constitution reader, we read uh, uh, Jefferson Davis's Farewell to the Senate. He left the Senate to go be the president of a, of a, sec- a seceding country. And he lays out the whole of it there, right? That's his last statement, according to his lights, as an American, right? So you read that, and there, that's the stuff, right? That's what he says at that moment, too. And those those things, and and to to understand it, you have to put your mind in that era. You have to understand the references he makes. Well, that is how you study history. When they're younger, they can't do that. So you have to have textbooks that are derived from that and are an accurate picture of that. And we don't do that so much anymore because how do textbooks get written? They get AP textbooks. So uh, first of all, it's very centralized. Uh, There are a few publishers that can publish national textbooks in the basic subjects. and, And they go through committees of experts, right? Uh, New York and California and Florida and Texas are the big states, I think. They used to be anyway. And so if they buy your textbook, you've got millions of sales. But you've got to get vetted every line. It's not just written by a couple of great scholars. It's written by a committee. And that means that by the time it's done, it's heavily adapted to opinions today whereas it's supposed to be heavily adapted to what happened
0: then. You know, your your professor at Hillsdale just won the Hudson Award for his textbook on American history. I need to salute him for that. I do want to go, though, to David Mamet's new book, Recessional, which you and I have been emailing about. I told Mr. Mamet when he was on my guest on Monday, and we'll post the full podcast of that tomorrow, that the single best line in his book, and it's a line on which it, I, I was reminded of it by what you were saying you have to build on things, is this sentence. It's just one sentence in a book. The cons, uh, the Declaration of Independence stands in the same relation to the Constitution as does the Torah to the Talmud. And I said, David, that's brilliant. Now, no one's going to understand that unless they've done a lot of work, right? You have to start, yeah. you have to have read the Declaration of the Constitution and you must at least know what the Torah and the Talmud are in order to understand that one comes first and the latter is intended to protect the former it's just it's marvelous it's a marvelous single sentence but you can't get there if I read it right now people are what what's what what does that mean they have no idea unless they've listened to these dialogues how it is that the declaration is to the Torah as the Constitution is the declaration and the Talmud is to the Torah Mm
1: -hmm. well so the you can put it in Aristotelian terms which the founders would do which Lincoln did uh, the, uh, uh, the Declaration of Independence is the final cause of America. It states the purpose of it all. And the Constitution is the formal cause. It states how its constituents' parts work together. How does it operate? And therefore, what does it look like? And, and so, the, you know, the Torah is the story of God's providence in the founding of the Jewish people. And the Talmud is set of many, many ages of deductions upon that and commentaries on that. And so, yeah, that's exactly right. And see, if you, it's funny about education, and I'm sparked to this thought now. Uh, you, you, to simplify is almost impossible at the beginning. Yes. That's one reason you need teachers, right? Because if you study, like, uh, David Mamet is a very smart man. And he's thought about this all his life, and he's reached that description of that relationship, and it's pithy and meaningful. Well, you can't do that at the start. The, the, at the start, what you do is you read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Yes, you got to begin <laughs> with Genesis. <laughs> what, is, what does that mean? You know, and uh, who is that guy? You know, so you're not ready to until you've done it, and and. It becomes familiar to you. You can't step back from it and, and locate it with other things, right? And so mastery, that's what that means. And, you know, you can get that. Uh, you need help, you know, and, you know, very brilliant. People can do it on
0: their own, but, and everybody can do a lot of it on his own, but still, uh, you, you. need help. David Mamet is 75 years old. He's the first to admit he's only getting there. And and when you can, as you say, pithily put, a relationship that I've not heard framed that way. Yeah, I mean, you've said it a thousand different ways, but never have we yeah. talked about the Torah and the Talmud at the same time as the Declaration of the Constitution. And on this Good Friday and Passover, it's very interesting that we find linked in this book that the Torah and the Talmud are connected to the Declaration of the Constitution. And people are going about their observances today and all weekend long and all next week maybe unaware of the intricacy with which that story of the Bible is connected with our story on this continent. It's, uh,
1: and that means, and see, you know, we've, we're wandering around some today, I guess, but uh, we're
0: digressing.
1: We, we went, across, we, you know, we went around the globe, you know, I did in a pitiful way around the globe <laughs> on the Ukraine. And the, the reason is I woke up this morning trying to connect all of this up in my mind, because it's true. You, you, We're getting to a place where geopolitics is going to be a front-burner item. But to understand that, you need to know some history, and you need to know geography.
0: And not people know that. Behind me, I'm pointing to it on our, our podcast. I put a globe, because when I talk to Arne, I've got to have the globe in my hand, because Dr. Arne just went from here, the Malaccan Straits, over to here, India, and he's about to connect this up, I think, with the Red Sea, because it all the world is much smaller now. Churchill got the You really do need to know the geography of the Malacca Straits, or you will not understand what China is doing. Yeah, they've got see, if
1: if uh they're uh it is, you know, by the way, breathtaking what they're doing. And, you know, it's it's a long plan and it's uh uh and they're you know, they're the, the Chinese regime, by the way, is unworkable, and that's because what they've done is grafted onto an old thing, uh, China, the, the, the ancient traditions of China, which are workable in a way. They've grafted onto it Marxism-Leninism.
0: And that doesn't work. We've got to go to a break, but when we come back, I want to also say they've done a precipitous thing. They've done what Michigan did, which is lockdown and why it might be the death knell of the regime. We can pray. Don't go anywhere on this Good Friday except for right where you are. We're talking with Dr. Larry Aaron, president of Hillsdale College. <music> I hope to be like Aristotle in the Hillsdale Dialogue, but I hope to at least get my digressions back in order. Uh, at the beginning, I said we would talk about the attorney general of Pennsylvania, Josh Shapiro, rejecting the return to lockdown and mass status in Philadelphia because he's not a dummy like the Michigan governor, the worst governor in America. But the Chinese state that Dr. Larry Arn was just discussing on the Hillsdale Dialogue has locked down Shanghai, their longest, uh, their biggest city, for two weeks. And people are starving to death, Larry Arn. we yeah. We see... What a Marxist-Leninist government will do to achieve zero COVID is still not working. But that's why the old system grafted on the new system will not work. They're going to starve their people into a revolution against the party.
1: Yeah, they, uh, uh, I got an email from somebody I know in China to be unnamed here. And uh, he was, he's a very upbeat guy, a very sweet guy. And uh, his first report about the lockdown is, we have enough food. <laughs> and and uh, wow, you know that's that's like worthy yeah. of comment.
0: <laughs> yeah, wow. But you know, it's it's they never know a regime doesn't know it's going to fall until it's too late. And I I do think that by mistaking lockdowns for a policy, they're doing everything that your governor did that the New Jersey and New York governors did everything wrong. Now, we learned. We were all blind at the beginning, but we're not blind anymore. They do not work. They destroy. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and that's, uh, that, it, 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 it's, I don't know, their are incentives. Uh, you see, they, they're doing something that's, even by their own lights very impractical. Because uh, they, they it, it, the story seems to me, that when the Soviet Union fell, they learned lessons from that. And that is, this top-down command and control economy does not produce the way the West, the way a free economy, any free people, produces. The way the Singaporean. it's not a, it's not a racial thing. not the way any, anybody does, right? And we're falling behind. It was uh, a fact, there's a guy named Leon Sloss who read uh, Soviet literature all his life, you know, strategic literature, and he's the first person I know to predict the fall of the Soviet Union, because articles began to appear despairing of the fact that not only did they not have our technology, they couldn't teach their soldiers to use it if they did, huh. right? And so, so you know, they developed a doubt. Well, what the Chinese did was thought long and hard and said, let's liberate the economy, kind of. Right, and they have. And, you know, the growth is magnificent. The growth nice. of China rivals the growth of the United States of America in the
0: 19th century. Yeah, it was. They, they, they... And,
1: uh, and now she, you know, who's a very serious man, right, he's been imprisoned and tortured more than once. He's a survivor. He's meaner than hell. And he's smart. And he's got to the top of all that, right? And he is backing off on the freedom stuff. He has destroyed several people who'd become internationally famous as gazillionaires, uh, characters who went around speaking uh, relatively freely. The great off. Jimmy Lai. Yeah. And they, and they, you know, he just broke them up. They're in prison. And uh, so they have been. So it, it, it's, uh, and that puts a chill on things, right? Well, it, that's a calculation. Uh, I have always said that, uh, you know, if you give people freedom, goodness knows what they'll do with it.
0: Okay, and, and on that point, on that, we're going be, to France. It. Go ahead. That's right. There'll
1: be will be there'll be times when you feel like you need to take that away to keep control, and that's where their priorities will be revealed.
0: And, and we so, are going to we are going to see in France. And I got two minutes left to do this before we go. Marine Le Pen and Emmanuel Macron and Dwayne and I are going to be in the middle of that two-week sprint. Le Pen is unsettling to me. Macron is an empty suit. What do you do?
1: Well, I don't know. Unsettling. Um, so I'm not, I don't know enough about it to be sure. Uh, I, I I know that she's she's called a racist, of course, and she's uh, a- attempting to uh, recover... The the glory the native glory of France, which is a real thing.
0: or oh, she's going for the De Gaulle slot, even that's though there's a Gaulish. You know that so trying to be know, De Gaulle in '58.
1: To the extent that's what she's doing, one has to wish her well. And uh, so I I hope so. And uh, you know she's so, uh, the party that she heads. You know has some indiscretions, let us say, earlier in its history about race. And, and uh, I, I don't, and see, I'm not an expert, right, but I, I believe that she has, is not implicated in that and that she steps away from that.
0: She's renounced a lot of her worst positions, all of the positions of her father, who was the nut. Yeah. Uh, and she continues to be divisive in many places. But I wonder if the French are ready to throw the dice. Because, well, they,
1: you know, I mean, the France of De Gaulle, independent, cussed, difficult to get along with, drove Churchill nuts.
0: That was a great, friend. That was a great, friend. And I will bring back a report, and we will talk next week about Aristotle. Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, all things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu, including the applications that you and San Diego especially need to go and get. Thank you. Aristotle, next week, America. Stay with us. Thanks for listening to the Hillsdale Dialogues presented by Hillsdale College. For more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, or Ricochet. For more information about Hillsdale College, head to hillsdale.edu.